This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode. Got another great guest for you. This guest is, uh, he has the distinct privilege of having bought a mobile home park from me, from me and he hasn't, he's on my podcast. So apparently it went okay. Still a good relationship. Uh, he's a mobile home park owner operator. He's a general contractor by trade. He's uh, got a lot of world travels and experience that uh, I'm jealous of. Uh, he's got an interesting last name he's going to tell us about as well. Please help me welcoming Danny Grisa or is it Grisa? Danny, tell us a little bit more about yourself and tell us about this last name because I just found out 30 seconds ago that I've been saying it wrong for a year. Yeah, so I've been correcting people to say it wrong for years, basically. And I kind of got sick of it. So two weeks ago, my wife and I were like, you know what? It's te- technically, it's pronounced Grisa, I guess. My family always said just pronounce it Grisa. And I'm like, well... Phonetically, it makes no sense. Everyone always pronounces it Grisa. So we decided two weeks ago, it's going to be Grisa from now on. So I don't have to correct anyone. And that just makes the most sense with how it's spelled. So maybe you should convert to like a symbol, like Prince or something. Then it'd just be, you'd you'd be even more infamous that you have this unique first name, last name symbol. But in the meantime, I guess we'll go with Grisa. So congratulations on the new name. (laughs) I know you, for some of our audience may not know you, tell us a little bit more about your, your background and how you got into MHP. Yeah, so interesting story. Um, it, it's uh, it's been a journey for sure. I don't think anyone ends up here accidentally. You kind of have to intend to get there or something. But uh, I started out 15 years, 16 years ago as a professional golfer. I started out trying to hack it out in the mini tours, and it uh, before I even really had a chance to get started, I was laid up and I had like an injury in my shoulder and X, Y, and Z. And my girlfriend at the time, her stepdad, was flipping houses, and so I was interested in what he was doing. He's he's making a ton of money. It seemed really fun, really cool. I'm like, hey, you know what? I should I should give this a shot. This would be something I think I'd be good at. I could play golf whenever, you know, I'll play golf for fun instead of having to play golf for a living. And so he kind of became my mentor. And through that, I, I learned a lot of the ropes of the business and uh, he encouraged me to get a job in the industry and I became an appraiser. Um, and that gave me a lot of really good experience. And then at the same time, he and I started flipping houses. So I had, had kind of like a nice, well-rounded experience. And through that, I flipped a, a bunch of houses until things went bust. And I saw him lose everything. A 65-year-old guy, basically my mentor, and he lost everything. I mean, wow. he had worked decades. And uh, he ended up getting a divorce, ended up moving with his kid in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I'm just, I'm watching this unfold and I'm just like, I never want to be the guy that's 65 years old, loses everything and moves in with my kid in Albuquerque. Right. I'm like, how do I avoid that? And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy rental properties so that no one can ever take them away. As long as they're cash flowing and hopefully even free and clear, they're mine. No bank can come and just swoop them up and the values go down and all of a sudden underwater, which is what happened to him. And so, uh, so that, that kind of started me on a chart of like, okay, passive income. You know, how do I develop passive income? And so I started flipping houses again when the market got better and um, I would just, you know, flip three and buy one. And I built a, a bunch of rental properties up. And so that kind of introduced me to the whole industry as far as uh, passive income and rental properties and things like that. 
Um, and how I got into MHP was uh, I had actually bought all these rental properties. Uh, 2016 decided I I was I was good to go. Didn't need to, to to do any more. I had enough, and I wanted to I wanted to go experience life. So went to go travel. Basically, uh, rented my house at Airbnb. My wife left her job as a as an attorney the year before she turned partner, but we decided we were gonna live our lives for, for, for experiences rather than things. And uh, we went and traveled for four years and got back earlier this year. And it was actually while we were traveling and I'm like, you know, completely out of the real estate game. I had all my properties managed by a manager. And I, I mean, I was just in neutral, you know, and a friend called me up and said, hey, a past business partner, um, hey, I got this mobile home parks, making all this money, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, I've always known cash cow, mobile home parks or cash cows. Like I always knew that being an industry for a while, but I never really had like a foot in the door. And so uh, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, like, yeah, I mean, I'm traveling. I'm like in, you know, Austria, like I can't do anything, but he's you're like, oh, well, I just needs a lot, I need money. Like I have opportunity, I just need cash. I'm like, all right. So we figured out a way I put some cash and got a, a money guy. And, and so that's kind of how I got into it. Uh, made a lot of mistakes along the way, but uh, that was kind of how that ended up happening. Great. Great. Now, you're a contractor as well, right? You didn't mention, you didn't mention that background. Yeah, I kind of skipped over that. Otherwise, that would have been like a 10-minute monologue. Yeah, yeah. No, well, um, that's, that's great. But I'm like, I didn't know you were an appraiser, but I knew you were a contractor because that's where I've seen you work on a lot of this stuff. And that's obviously, you started off, you know, you have, you know, good construction background and flipping houses. Yeah, you kind of have to learn that kind of stuff. And yeah. then MHP, you came in more as a second partner, my you know, cash guy, but you've obviously become more active in the, over the last several years. So tell us, tell us about that country background, how that's impacted your, your MHP business. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been a huge impact, honestly, because I mean, mobile home park is basically a development project. I mean, unless you buy something turnkey or you're a REIT or something, I mean, you're going to be infilling lots, or you know, you're going to be repairing the the mismanagement that was there. Uh, which a lot of times means you know physical repairs in the property and things like that so i mean you, you, it, it's a development project i mean you take a park that's got 60 spaces 80 spaces and you fill 20 in i mean that's that's like a little subdivision you're adding so uh not to mention everything else goes into it so it's a huge part of it and um the experience definitely has, has helped me uh give me an edge i would say on, on making it less stressful and a lot more doable uh, with a lot more unknowns, um, which is always the, the biggest factor is just eliminating the unknowns. So you have more confidence and you can get things done more efficiently. But uh, how I got into contracting, so the whole story, you know, I'm flipping houses, 2007, market goes bust. And, and uh, I mean, in Southern California, Riverside, I mean, every sixth house was, was boarded up. Landscaping's dead, you know, trash outside, windows broken. I mean, it was, it was like Armageddon. It was bad. And I'm like, okay, I have all these skills. I know how to flip houses. You know, there's no one out there fixing anything, flipping anything, fix it. You know, no one's remodeling. And like the only people having money and doing anything are the banks. They're the ones that have all the inventory. So I was like, all right, someone's got to fix these houses. So I started driving streets and calling realtors and uh, just said, who's going to fix your stuff? Like, I don't know. I've got to figure it out. And I'm like, all right, I'll be the guy. I'm like, all right, we have to get licensed. No bank wants to pay anyone unless you're licensed. And so I'm like, okay, I'll get licensed. So I got licensed as a contractor. And started doing that and that developed four years of craziness so i was just so so busy fixing all these homes for the banks and um, then they would refer me to owners if, if the bank didn't want to fix it and so i'd fix it for the owners and that kind of started my whole contracting business which uh, which continued until we left in uh, 2016 to go travel uh, and i sold that to uh, another contractor and and, and off we went 
Great. Um, oh, yeah. And then so so as far as the mobile home park stuff. So, yeah. So I, I came into it kind of as a passive guy. You know, I was like, all right, I'll be, you know, the, the guy that just feeds the deal money or make sure that there's money there for, for the deal. And, you know, the other guys on the ground and it, it's a good setup until it doesn't work. Um, yeah, and, MHP business is active. I have another I have a client that's like, I thought this was passive investing. This is an operational business. And especially when you have park owned homes and that's where I think the, the, the GC skill comes in. But in general, yeah, it's definitely hands-on. I think there's a, a lot of misinformation out there that, oh, you can do this three hours a week from your desk. It's like, eh, not really. I, I mean, maybe when you're done, I mean, if you put all the two or three years into it and like, I'm used to a flip where it's like two or three months. And, and, and when you're doing any kind of a mobile home park, I mean, you're going to be into it for two or three years. I mean, most cases, you know, you're going to infill lots, they're going to raise rents, whatever it is, you're, you're, you're kind of track record on that. You're going to be in it for a good while until maybe you can get everything well-oiled and you've kind of completed whatever, whatever your, your goal was or your performer or what have you. So it's a lot of delayed gratification for sure. But yeah, so we got into it and we, we bought the wrong parks. Um, didn't know what we were doing. Thought, thought I knew what I was doing. And that's the, the biggest mistake, which anyone will tell you, Frank Rolf, yourself, you go to the Frank Rolf's boot camp, he'll tell you, but it, you don't cap the, the park on homes. You don't cap the, the, the rent. And that was, I mean, I came from, I'd always rental properties, all single family for the most part. And I'm like, oh, I know how to do this. Like, yeah, I'll just rent this stuff out like a scattered apartment building. And I'm like, no, that doesn't work. It's, right. it's, it's complicated. You know, there is a difference between the ground lease and the home lease. And you have to know that, otherwise you're going to end up hurting yourself and overpaying. And that's what we did. We overpaid, bought the wrong demographics, and, and uh, eventually figured out the right stuff. But as things were starting to slowly go the wrong direction, that's when I had to get involved. I'm like, okay, uh, I got to like you know jump in here and sink my hands into this. And um, and then you know eventually figured it out. Went to Frank's boot camp, and uh, I'd already learned everything at that point. Kind of just. <laughs> Got, got myself slapped in the face a little bit, like, gosh, I wish I'd have come here two years ago. Right. Um, and, um, but anyway, that's how I got into it. Now we've bought the right parks. One of the parks I bought from you is, is one of the right parks for sure. Um, and, um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun to at least use all the, the stuff I've learned from the School of Hard Knocks um, and, and, and to use it to buy the right parks and engine the right way. Right. And I want to, I want to touch on that park on home income. Cause that's a good point that a lot of people do miss is, you know, I tell people you can make money on park owned homes for sure, but it's a different kind of money than in the lot rent. So and you say about capping it. So if you buy the land, if the land rents 200, you maybe cap that at a seven or eight cap. If the home rent is another 400, it's probably not advantageous to cap it. If you're going to cap it, you should adjust your expense ratio from say 30 to 40% to at least 50 in my opinion. And then in addition to higher expense ratio, thus lower NOI ratio, if you're going to cap it, you should add, I'd say 400 basis points. So 12 cap instead of eight cap. Or what I prefer to do, and I know, I know you do as well, is look at the shell value of the asset. If it's a, a $12,000 house, then call it worth 12000 What can you sell it for? Don't say, oh, it's $400 a month. Well, that's extra. You know, that's 4,800 a year at a 10 cap. That's 48,000. People will put $48,000 of valuation on a $12,000 house. So look at the shell value, or if there's a, a contract for deed or some sort of seller note, you can look at the the value of the outstanding note with some, there's some level of risk in, you know, those homes coming back to you. So you can, you can possibly discount the note. If there's interest on the note, then sometimes I don't discount it because there's an interest component. But I think that's a, a good point that a lot of people make mistakes on it. And I, I see it all the time with brokers. You'll see a, a listing and, oh, it's a seven cap or eight cap. I'm like, okay, great. That's an, I'll, I'll look at this eight cap. 
and then you look at it and you're like, no, it's a, it's a four cap. You just included a bunch of parking and home income or or RV income, the same cap rate as the as the MH. And it, it's just a different animal. So I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people still make that mistake. It, it's it's the number one mistake for sure. I mean, I looked at it, we probably overpaid by 20% on, on, a, on a property. If you overpay by 20%, it's a longer road for sure yeah. to try and get back to profitability. Now, let me let me ask you on that then. Um, with on the, on the twenty percent example, did you have a bank loan on these, and did the bank finance the park on home debt? That, that was the other mistake. You know, if, if we had gotten bank loans, there would at least been some check and balance. Someone other, some other eyes looking at it, telling us, "Hey, maybe you guys are overpaying for this," or and that, that didn't happen. You know, and and it was uh, owner carries on both, and yeah. so that's. You just set it up, set us up for failure. The, the wrong way to do your first deals, that's for sure. Sure. Owner carry, it's funny you mentioned that too. Because I wondered on that, but you paid cash with owner carry because some banks are sophisticated enough. They won't count the park owned home rent or they'll count it, which they think they probably shouldn't do, but they'll want to lean on the mobile homes. So that makes them look a little harder. If there's a lean on the mobile homes, they may want five or 10 year paper, which kind of jacks up your pro forma instead of having a 20, 25 year amortization. Is your your the payments be cut be choking more? So I've I've had some, I've had banks finance me on park owned homes before as part of the purchase, but they really they prefer not to, and I prefer not to. Then you have a no release price on the homes, but on the on the seller finance, I, what I see people do is, and I, I should probably do a podcast on this: is mistakes with seller finance, and and, yeah. and what sellers do sometimes is they get somebody to overpay by offering really long amortization, really low interest, or they sneak in the park on homes or there's, or there's, they know it's got a bad survey, things like that. It's because a bank will sometimes make you do a survey. A bank will sometimes make you do phase one, but people sometimes, right. I had a client, he got lulled into sleep with, he was just going to do everything because of seller finance. And I said, you need to, you need to get a title report now. You need, you need to get, yeah. you know, a phase one now, these sort of things. And he was like, no, I'll do it. I'll do it at the end. I'm not buying it yet. Because if it doesn't work, I'll just I'll just give the money back. And I'm like, or I'll just give the property back. I'm like, you don't want to give the property back at the eleventh hour when you've already sunk years of time and money into it. Yeah. And some people just that's that's I think that's like the one of the oldest tricks in the book of the seller is oh I'll make it, I'll give you really good terms basically to dupe somebody into buying a property. Yeah, lull to sleep is, is a great way of describing that because you, you get passive like oh you know I don't have to worry about all these hoops and loops and red tape and. It's easy. Well, yeah, it comes at a cost, though. I mean, you have to watch your own back then because there's not a, a bank that's going to be making sure the I's dotted and T's crossed. Uh, and that happened to us. I mean, the first park we bought, it ended up having, you know, no, no survey, you know, which is, it was, I'm looking back, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I mean, every mistake, you know, bought a property with the lagoon. Um, the lagoon is in a flood zone. I mean, is that even possible? The homes, I guess, or maybe, maybe not. Yeah, that's bad. I mean, is that even possible? And it's like, we didn't even know that till like two years later, which is, it's just, it's just like, what? And then I probably couldn't have even gotten a bank on it. It was, in, it was in a small town, you know, too far away from everything. And uh, which, which is kind of leads me into some other stuff too, as far as contracting, you don't want to buy a park in a small town that's too far away from other big towns. Cause you're not going to find any good help, you know, and it's going to be really hard. Um, both as, as vendors and also as a park manager. But uh, but yeah, if we had tried to get a bank loan on that one, uh, we probably couldn't have found one, you know, because a bank would have said, that's too rural. And we're not going to do it. You know, it was a town of 10,000 and it was an hour away from the next town that was bigger, bigger than that. It's just too far. And so uh, that would have been a, a big, a good check and balance. We didn't have because we just said, oh yeah, uh, solar finance. Yeah. Pros and cons to each. I mean, yeah, solar finance has its, has its pros for sure. You know, non-recourse being often one of them, but 
yeah, you get stuck in a nickel, like that deal with the lagoon and the flood zone, I mean, that's, that obviously impacts your exit strategy too, because the, the next buyer um, may not do the, make the same mistakes, you know, and, and my dad and I joke and say, greater fool theory. You, is there a greater fool that'll buy it, you know? And we all make foolish mistakes. So it's just, okay, just, we try to live up, we try to get out of them, so to speak, by finding somebody else that'll make it again. Um, and, I, and I had a park in the lagoon and, you know, eventually got heartburn about it. So, you know what, I need to sell this thing and sold it to somebody else. They had a due diligence period that was, I don't know, 60 days. During that due diligence period, the permit lapsed. Um, we, had, we, didn't, we didn't forget about it. We sent it in, but it was a, government was slow. It was due April 30th or whatever. And these guys closed on May 5th and the permit had not yet been renewed. And they could have been screwed. They didn't even know about it. They didn't even think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On May 5th, they closed and two weeks later, the permit came in the mail that we had applied for it three, three weeks earlier or something. It just took a while. We sent it on to them. Hey, by the way, your, your permit showed up. They're like, oh, okay, thanks. Yeah, it's wow. possible the permit would not go, it, it had violations. They do an inspection on this and stuff. So yeah. I just, you know, I got rid of the lagoon to, you know, greater fool theory and the guys got lucky. Um, but there's definitely, definitely concerns with, um, you know, when you make mistakes, and I've done made mistakes too, you make mistakes, okay, how do I, you try to mitigate it later. But it's, it's definitely uh, can make you sleep a little tougher at night. <laughs> well, yeah, and, uh, I mean, one thing I learned through through doing all of my my flips and construction and everything else is, I mean, I, I worked for a lot of investors as a contractor, and even though I was an investor myself, I could get stuff done cheap, and I could see it through an investor's eyes. And so I ended up working with a lot of investors, but I got to see how they worked, and I got to like take little uh, bits and pieces and put them in my quiver. You know, all those little those arrows and put them in my quiver and, and, and figure out how I like to do things. And, and all those little pieces of that puzzle add up. And, and it kind of created the systems I have today, which has helped me be really successful in mobile home parks. But you know, you learn from other people that have all also learned. And, you know, Frank's a great teacher and he, there's a lot of stuff to learn from him, but I mean, also he's, he's huge. So he's only so much you can learn than apply to what you have. Right. And starts getting the nitty gritty stuff. And, I mean, buying that park I bought from Uford and seeing how you guys operate was awesome too, because you guys have been to it longer than I have and done more than I have done. And I got to take little bits and pieces already um, in the last year of, of some of the stuff and how you guys do stuff and it's helped make my operations better. And, um, and that, that's what's fun. And that, that's why I, I enjoy doing this and talking to other people that they're also doing it, sharing notes. There's, there's no like one way of, of operating a mobile home park in this business. You know, it depends on the mobile home park, depends on your style, depends on the size, depends on the location and, and your management style. You know, I, I, I don't know if there's, there's probably a dozen different ways of operating a park. I mean, do you have a park manager? Do you have a park reader? You know, do you pay your manager $2,000 a month and have them basically as like a system project manager, you know, or do you pay them $800 a month and you know, they just kind of, you know, do some of the basic stuff and that's that, you know, or you pay them lot rent, you know, and you just right. have them be a greeter and they just, they basically just, you know, hand out violations and do real basic low, low impact stuff. And it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, it's definitely, it's a, it's a creative process in a lot of ways, because you kind of have to build your own systems of how you want to do stuff. And um, you have to be scrappy as well, because it's, I mean, I, I'm a contractor, like I mentioned before, it's kind of like a development. Um, you know, you're a developer, developing this thing, but you're also head of the HOA. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're the ones handing out notices and violations, and, and you're also the management company collecting rents. So, I mean, you're you got like these three hats, and uh, and they, they take different skills in all of them. 
you have to deal Absolutely. with Absolutely. I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I kind of say it's, you're, you're basically the city manager as well. I mean, because in some parks, like in the park we sold you that that was water, direct bill water sewer. So that one, you don't have it. But in some parks, you're, you're actually providing the water, providing the sewer, you're providing your bills, you're enforcing the rules like the, the police or the codes department. Um, you're obviously doing some personnel management. You're like, you have a little HR department, you've got a customer service department, you've got obviously all the, the blocking and tackling of regular operations and maintenance and management. And it's, yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's a fun game. I, you know, I, I enjoy it. And like, I, I think it's great. You say you continue to learn from other people. I think that's, that's huge. And I, I have the, the benefit of, you know, from my legal clients, being able to see, get under the hood with a lot of different guys, a lot of different gals. And like, Hey, here's, here's how they're doing something like, Oh, I didn't think of that. That's a good system. I should start doing that on my end. And then, and then I can, and there's things that I'm better at than them and vice versa. So it's just like, you can just continue to grow. And I think you get to nail the head with how the, there's so many different management tactics. And I, I think the management tactics and structures are the deal often drives them more so than, than the personal, than like my preference or your preference. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. You know, we've got one park where the, the manager lives in the park and does almost nothing. And we pay him $75 a month. We got another guy who, you know, was making 45000 a year managing a park. That's a lot more moving pieces, a lot more home infill. Obviously, yeah. you can't, you're not going to pay 45000 on somebody that's working two hours a week. Um, but the deals have kind of, and then I've, I've got one right now where we're about done with the big infill. And I'm going to, this manager is really good. I want to relocate him. I'm looking for another property in that trade area to hopefully relocate him because I don't want to let him go back to his regular day job, you know. Um, so the, the structure is, you know, kind of driven by circumstances and then the circumstances change. You know, I think I thought about yeah. if you think with the old movie, The Godfather, uh, when they replaced the conciliary, he said, hey, you're a wartime conciliary. Now we're at peacetime. So we have a different we need a different guy to be the, you know, the chief of staff, if you will. And I've got a manager who's really good at sales, but is not as good at uh, personnel management. So the, the vendors. The, the subcontractors, they all kind of just like this guy, but I love him because he sells houses, sells a couple houses a month, um, but he's almost done selling. So I was like, okay, now I need to move him somewhere else, have him go sell somewhere else. And I'll put right. a better, a better operator manager in there to, to just run what would then be, what would then be a stabilized park. So. Uh, for, for, for sure. And, and, and one of the things that uh, I've learned, most of the parks I've bought have either a large infill component. And now I'm, I'm starting to, get parks that I'm probably going to buy maybe two or three more parks I own six now, but, um, and then I'll probably be done. <laughs> but, uh, but I keep saying that and I keep buying more. So who knows, but, uh, is I, I generally have like bigger projects that need more stuff, you know, that need more turnaround aspects of them. Uh, maybe they're two thirds of the way there, but that last third is, is a good amount that needs to be done. And I, I like to having a park manager that's basically my assistant project manager. Mm -hmm. especially since I'm out of state, I'm in California, all my stuff's, you know, pretty much in the, the Midwest and, uh, or, or the Southeast. And, you know, I need eyes and ears out there. I can trust that, that can tell me what's up, send me pictures that can kind of be my eyes and ears on the ground. And you're not going to get that for a thousand dollars a month. I mean, $2,000 a month is kind of like the minimum right. to get the right person and maybe get some bonuses and stuff like that. But once that park's done and it's kind of like a welded machine, it's all full and everything's good to go. I mean, paying them $2,000 a month doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, right. It's not $2,000 work anymore. You know, that's, you know, $500 a month work or something like that. You know, you just kind of collect the checks and hand out some notices, you know, more or less. Um, so yeah, it, it really depends on the park where it's at, you know, and, and, you know, what your plans are, but, uh, you know, you get some good people by doing that. 
and, and we have a great manager right now in Southeast. And when we're done with those projects, I'm like, I almost want to get more projects because she makes life easier. Right. And, um, and I want to keep her busy because once these are all done, then what, you know, then what do I, you right. Know, you don't want to fire her, fire her for a good performance. Like you've, you've done a great job on the project. Now you've put yourself out of work. Yeah, exactly. Now you get a 40% pay cut. It's just like, yeah. you know, yeah, I'm um, the same way. You want to find her, you want to find more work to keep her busy. I'm doing the same thing. I've told you about my manager, Juan, who's just so great. And like, he's almost done with this project. I'm like, all right, I need to find something within hundred miles of Juan so that I can give him another job. And he's got a full-time job. So he doesn't even need the money as much as like, I just need, I want to, I just gave him $5,000 bonus last week. Like, I need you to keep moving, man. You're just, he's just a hustler. So the same, same sort of thing as your guy in the Southeast is like, keep him busy and take care of him and all that. But you touched on, you brief, you cover, you briefly covered, went over something I want to, I want to address because you're you're from California and your assets are not there. So a lot of people, you know, California's a great mobile home park state in many respects, but it's really hard, really competitive, really expensive and lots of government regulations. So a lot of people in California say, I'm not buying in California. You're obviously buying elsewhere for a variety of reasons. Tell us about your process. And this is one of the processes that I've learned from you is how you have two sets of eyes on everything because you're, you're not really one of those set of eyes. You're the third set, two sets of eyes on a park on Homer model and how you work with the contractors and the managers and readers to to make sure things are being done and and you know buttoned up when you're not there to look at it once a week. Yeah, that's that's the scariest part uh, for sure, and that's the reason why I never got into it. You know, I was always like, oh, mobile homes, parks, cash cows. And I'm like, I'm in California, and and I looked at them out here briefly, and uh, when I was doing all my stuff, you know, in early 2000, 2010 and whatnot, everything else, but it just didn't pencil. And so I'm like, all right, well. I'm not set up to buy a property out of state. I don't know how to do any of that. You know, that's, that's scary. And, and it is daunting, but there, there are ways to do it. And, uh, and I've, I've been forced to figure a lot of this out because I was traveling and managing my stuff. I had to figure out how to do that. But the, the best thing is, is systems. You have to have good systems by far. You have to be very organized. Uh, you have to be available um, on the phone and make sure that, you're you're basically how you want your people to be you know you want to answer the phone every time because you want them to answer the phone every time you know you want to be really clear and organized because you want them to be clear and organized people will follow the lead but uh you know those are more details the, the bigger picture is lots of pictures honestly you know pictures i i, I have a i have a picture um guide of how to take pictures wow. that I, I give you it's a manual of you know a floor plan of a home and here's where you take a picture and here's the direction you point right it's just and like you know here i have like eight tips you know good lighting make sure that it's not too dark make sure it's not blurry clean your lens so it's clear because i those are my eyes you know you can do a video but it's not to me it's it's less good uh, it's harder to go frame by frame it could be blurry you know there's sometimes an issue with connectivity and stuff but send me some pictures you know and i i can figure it out and so what I've developed is, is like you said, kind of three sets of eyes. So I have, let's say we're doing a park remodel. So a park owned home remodel. We have the contractor who'll be out there. He does his work. He'll take pictures and send them to me in order to get paid. But I'll also have the park manager go out there and send me pictures as well to make sure that, you know, she thinks it's, or he thinks it's all done right. And because that for sure, the contractor's going to take pictures around the things he doesn't want you to see. Right. You know, that's just, it's a given, just assume right. it can happen. Yeah, it's, uh, but, yeah, but it's still, perfect. It's like, yeah, not exactly. There's, there's three other walls that are, have holes in them. Oh, oh yeah. No, I mean like literally, oh yeah, the door that has a hole in it. Well, we'll just open that door so you don't see the hole in the backside of it. I mean, it's, 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 it's so typical. So, 
but you still ask them to take pictures. That way they have some accountability. You know, they make sure, and this is the extra pictures that you can get because no one's going to give you everything you want. Anyway, so I have that. I have the park manager taking their pictures and, uh, and then I'll go out there probably, you know, probably two, three times a year. Now during COVID, I'm going out less. I haven't been at the parks in eight months, um, but I haven't really had a need to. As soon as I feel like I need to, then, you know, I, I figured out whatever an iron out, whatever crease I have, but, um, but having, you have to have two sets of eyes at minimum and, um, you know, having your park manager also handle any repairs is a huge mistake. You know, that's, that's number one thing I would say is do not have your park manager do any work. Don't have them swing a hammer, nothing. You know, all they are, are they are quality control and you have to have that right person that can see the details to be that person. If you're going to operate it out of state like I am, that that's, that's critical. I mean, I know for you guys operate mainly within a radius that uh, at least up until a few months ago, I know, I don't know if you guys have branched out, but you have a radius where you guys can go out and see, a, see a park, you know, you can drive there in a day and be there. Right. And if you can't do that, you're going to have to make sure you get someone else that can look at it the way you would look at it. Um, and so, you know, the, that, that's a, it's, it's a bit of a craft to make sure you find that right person, but it's uh, that's a huge part of it so that you don't have a bunch of issues. Got it. No, that's, that's, that's wise. Great tip. What, what other tips or tactics or, or horror stories did you have that you want to share, if, if any? Um, you know, I, here, here's a good tip. So to find contractors, this, this is the most difficult part. Because is, is, if you have a good contractor, you don't need a park manager that's cracking whips. And you don't have to go out there and, and do damage control. You know, it all starts at the bottom. It kind of works its way up. So if you can find the right guys, a lot of problems get solved automatically. And, and that's, that's been probably the biggest value add I've had in this whole thing. And, um, and so, I mean, it's really basic, honestly. I mean, before, actually, it's still Craigslist. I've tried Facebook Marketplace. I haven't had very much luck finding good contractors on there. A lot of tire kickers. You know, it's a good place to find uh, people to buy or rent. But as right. far as finding contractors, Craigslist has been the best. You know, it's, it remains the best. It's been the best for five years, six years, maybe longer. But uh, I'll post an ad, you know, and I try and do everything with as minimal phone time as possible. So I try and develop systems that don't require my touches and they just take care of themselves. Also, I don't like talking on a phone that much in particular anyway. So it's kind of linked itself towards a system like that. But uh, I'll have an ad posted and they'll basically say, hey, these, this is what we're looking for and list some specific things that every guy will have to do, you know, painting, drywall repair, flooring install, skirting install. Those are kind of like the basics. Mm -hmm. So at least, you know, some, whoever's applying isn't going to be a guy that just installs doorknobs or does his basic work. You need someone that can really get in there and do everything you got to do. So it, it, it shortens the point and it has, if you're interested, go to this form and I have a Google form that has a whole bunch of questions to put in there. And it'll probably take them 10 minutes to fill out. And, and uh, you know, they'll have to think about some stuff and they'll have to find some information. And that's kind of like a first test. Right. If they're not serious, they're going to see that form and they're going to say, screw it. I'm looking right. for an easy buck. This guy's making me work. And you're going to eliminate half the people right there. And those are the half you don't want. And so uh, they'll go through the form. And even then, I people fill out half the form. Okay, cut those people out. They don't want to take the time to fill out the form. They're not hungry enough. They don't care enough. I don't care about them either because they're not going to care about your product. They're going to care about just getting a dollar. And that's not the person I want. I want someone that actually cares about what they're doing because then they will have the detail orientated enough to, to want to do a good product. Not just, you know, as soon as they're done, five minutes later, they have their hand out. Okay, where's my money? Right. That's not what it's about. Obviously, you have to make money, but you want the person that really cares about what they're doing. And there are, they are out there. 
Um, and so the, the form is, is probably the number one thing. So I asked a bunch of questions in there um, and it helps me figure out who this guy is. Okay, is this, is this a small handyman who's just gonna do some repairs? Cause that's good to have. Or is this a guy that can handle $5,000, $6,000 job that incorporates all the things I mentioned before, you know, a whole, whole host of, of different stuff. You know, is he set up for doing, you know, uh, smaller jobs or is he used to doing $30,000 jobs? Cause if you take the guy that's done you know, 10, 30 and 40,000 hour jobs is his last three jobs. You're going to give him your 3000 hour job and he's going to bid it for 10,000 bucks. Right. He, you can tell, you can generally judge that guy. He's got a nice truck, a shirt with his company name on it and a nice hat. And you're a pro, but I, I don't need to, I don't need that level of pro sometimes. Right. I mean, you don't want the schmo, but you want somebody that's, you don't want the most expensive guy, right. Or the cheapest guy. Is that, yeah. is that generally how you look at it? Yeah, yeah, for, for, for sure. Uh, sometimes the cheapest guy will be, because like a lot, you know, we, we paint a picture of professionalism. And so they say they want to work with us. And that's the kind of guy you want, because they want the steady work and they know you can provide it. And so sometimes we've had guys in the first couple of jobs, they'll bid low, but they'll bid low purposefully because they want to get the job with their foot in the door. So I don't always throw out the lowest one, but yeah. I generally look at it to see if that's the case or if it's just a guy that's just bidding it low because he wants his first check and he's going to run. You'll never see him again. Um, but it, it, it is, it, it's tough because the guys you, you want, you can't afford. And a lot of times the guys you afford, you don't want. So, because they're too cheap and they, there's a reason why they haven't made it. Right. There's a reason. That, I had a guy recently painted my office. I'm sitting in my office here. I had painted it and found some guy. My, my handyman were all busy. So I get my wife put something on Dumbtack or Pinterest or whatever and found me a, a new painter. And the guy's like, this is on Sunday, Sunday morning. And he's like, I can be there at one. And I was just like, okay, what about do you have enough work to do this for two or three days? I got several offices here. He's like, yeah, I'm free tomorrow too. And I'm like, you're out of work, which, which tells me something, you know, yeah. and then I'm having problems with the guy. And it was, yeah. it was a one and it was a one and done thing. It's like the fact that you were, you know, the best guys and they're like, hey, I'm, you know, you can look for a mobile home setter right now. It's good. There's one guy in town here that's always available because he, he lost his license actually. The good guy, he's like, um, I'm booked for 120 days. It's because he's high quality. Everybody's are, everybody's lining them up. So the guy that's available now is probably not the right guy. It, it is. It's it's tough. I mean, it's an art form, and I mean, I've only figured this out because I've done it so many times. I've probably done over 700 remodel jobs, not even including the mobile home park stuff, but just in single family. And I'm, I've had just so many experiences going through all this that I've I've kind of figured out. Okay, these are the right guys that I need. Um, but the long and short of it is, you need a guy that's either he has just enough experience to where he can, he can, he's on his way up and, you know, maybe he was working for a contractor, but now he's on his own. And so he's hungry, he has experience, but maybe he hasn't established himself. Like he's not 15 years into his career. Uh, maybe he's only, you know, he's maybe got five or six or eight years of experience, but maybe he's only one or two years into his own business. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, he's had enough experience running his own. I mean, it's particular, it's very specific. It really is to get the right guy, but this is what it is. You want to have you don't have him be the first day running his own business because he won't know how to manage money. You don't want to have him be five or ten years into it because then he'll be too expensive for you probably. If he's good, he'll already be busy, like you mentioned. So right. you want to kind of be in the early stages of that. So that, that's one type of guy that you could get. You know, uh, first year or two out in his own after having lots of experience working for the contractor. That perfect guy. You see that guy, and I've seen him come along. I'm like, this is the guy. And you know, he shows up. I just look at the application. I'm like, that's who he is. And he shows up, and I'm like, good. That's that's who we thought he was. And you know, that guy's still working for us right now in a park we have in Oklahoma. Um, 
And the other guy is the guy that does have all the experience and he's been to it 10, 15, 20 years maybe, but you know, his work has gotten slow for whatever reason. Um, and maybe he just needs a couple jobs infill because he's got maybe four crews. Maybe he's doing lots of jobs. He's got three or four crews going at once and he doesn't want a crew sitting. And so he, you, you're the overflow. You're not the big margin, but he knows he can kind of keep his guys always busy. So you relieve him of having that stress of keeping the crews together because you always have to have consistent work. Otherwise your guys will scatter, you know, as a contractor. So, and, and ultimately that's the, probably the best guy because he's professional. He knows how to run guys. He can do it really efficiently, but can he do it for the price you want? That's, that is the one thing you, you're generally going to overpay for that guy, maybe by 20%, 10 or 20% um, from the other guy I mentioned, but that's only got one or two years experience out on his own, but the more sophisticated guy is going to make your life super easy. He's going to know everything. He's going to do everything. He's going to get it done really well. He's in a, he's like a well-oiled machine and uh, takes minimal contacts, minimal communication, uh, you know, almost no punch lists or go backs. And those guys are out there. They are, uh, but you have to be willing to pay a little bit more for them. Not a lot more. There's, there's plenty of guys that'll do it for a lot more. You have to find a guy that, that's willing to do it for a little bit more and, and train him a little bit. You know, that's, that's one thing um, I've done is, is you, you kind of want to be a team. You want to feel like it's a team. You want to foster that element of team. Um, not like, oh, you're the contractor and I'm over here and I'm the landlord, you know, pulling the strings. You want to be like, I want to help you succeed, but we have limited budgets. We can only afford so much. I wish I could pay you more. And I can't. That's just the way it is. But if you're willing to do the work, you can make a margin on it. Uh, I can help you figure out how to do it more efficiently. You know, and a lot of guys will just say, okay, what, what do you need? What's the price? Just give me the price. And so I'm in the process of kind of developing a flat rate system. And I, I, I haven't dialed it in yet, but it's like, okay, painting a house is 550. You know, shutters are 200 bucks. Um, you know, flooring is dollar square foot, you know, labor, you know, plus materials or whatever. And, and just being like, this is, this is our boilerplate. This, this is our, our price list. Um, and a lot of guys, they like that. You know, right. it, takes, it takes the bid work out of it for them too and the measuring and stuff and they're just if they know it's reasonable like okay yeah, i'll do it for that and it only takes one or two times to figure out if that was worth it for you yeah yeah for sure i mean there's a guy right now doing work at the park that i bought from you guys uh ivan he, he's awesome but i mean he, he gave me a bid of 5500 he's like but i'll do it for 4500 i'm like my budget's 3400 and he's like okay let me think about it the next day he came back and i i, I gave him like a, some breakdown uh, specifically of each item and what i had priced for it a lot of guys will just, they'll just throw out a number like, okay, I'll right. be here for a week and a half. I need to make $500 a day. And then I'm like, okay, well, $500 a day is like, you know, 70 bucks an hour or something. It's like, <laughs> like, let's, let's, let's like, this isn't a one-off job. I mean, you're going to be doing work for months and months and months as I continue to throw you stuff. Like, let's figure out a reasonable price. Um, and he did, he took it for 3,400 bucks. And he's like, you know what? You're right. I can make money at that. And it won't be a lot, but it'll be little. And you keep giving me, giving me work, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's a bit of a, a craft uh, to, to, to do all that, but uh, it's, it's doable. Um, but I mean, if you go into it without having the experience that I, I've, I happen to be in a position to have, I can see how it'd be, it'd be difficult to find the right guy. You have to go through a lot of bad guys. And even I have to go through a lot of the bad guys, even still um, to find the good ones. I just, I, I stub my toe a lot less often because of some of these systems and things and, and knowledge I have. No, that, that's great. I mean, I think that's you know, part of your special sauce. If you've got the contractor experience that makes the park-owned home remodel not as much of a pain for you as the next guy. And park-owned home remodels are 
at some point the Achilles heel of the business. It's just that they can become a money pit. They can become a time suck. They, they make every, make your life more stressful. If you can, you know, cut out some of the pain points by using systems and processes like you're doing, uh, you know, obviously you're better off for it. It's going to make you more motivated to do the next deal and go, and you'll go faster and everything else. So it's just, um, great stuff. Great tips. Appreciate it. Danny, where can, where can people find you or do you want to remain hidden? Uh, where can they find you if they want to reach out to you? Yeah, yeah, sure. No problem. Um, I mean, my phone number is probably the best. Text me, call me, uh, 760-333-0004. Pretty, pretty easy number there. 760-333-0004. Uh, I have my Facebook page too, but that's, that's just for like, you know, renting and selling properties and stuff. But yeah, phone number honestly is easy. It's just give me a text. If you want to reach out, have any questions, have a deal you want me to look at just general questions about remodeling contracting dealing with stuff on park homes whatever you know happy to answer all right thanks danny i appreciate it you got it no problem thanks for it i know you've been listening to the mobile home park lawyer podcast with ferd neiman ready to learn more go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.